I'm just saying technology has allowed for more people to be an accountant, right? And so now the same thing is happening when it comes to technology. Are we looking at those old job descriptions? Are we looking at those old requirements? Do we actually require this or has technology come and made this easier? Do you use a platform every day? Are you using the app for the job, right? Like can more people actually take advantage of this? And then will your, will your unconscious biases allow you to say, actually, I don't need you to have 10 years in an industry that's only 10 years old. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here in studio with Chloe Goodry-Reed. And today joining us is Yvette Ellis, the co-founder and chief workforce officer of Charger Help. Yvette has over 15 years of experience in workforce development and is now focused on technology, innovation, and eco-conscious workforce development. Yvette, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you on with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Such an honor. Yeah, super excited to have you, Yvette. So let, let's start. Let's start at the top. Tell us a little bit about you and Charger Health. Okay. <clears throat> They're starting to become the same thing. So I'm going to try to separate. <laughs> <laughs> You're one in the same now. It's amorphous. Yes. Um, so I'll start with me. Um, I'm co-founder, chief workforce officer here at Charger Help. Um, my entire career history has been workforce development, worked for the Department of Labor's job work uh, program here in California and for about 10 years. Um, but really, my experience and love for workforce development started when I was 13 or 14, I was going to get a summer job in Compton. I'm born and raised in Compton, California. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I went okay. to go get a summer job and thought I would be at the park or at the pool and uh, went in and I saw these folks behind the counter and they were handing out papers and, you know, they were just in charge of everybody's summer future, right? <laughs> and I was like, I like that. I want to do that. So when I got to the front, I asked, can I work here for the summer job? And I told her, I'll take the pay you give them. And so I had already started negotiating salaries. <laughs> I said, I'll take the pay initially. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And so they allowed me to. And I, I got to watch what it really was to hear the case managers talking to employers about the youth and 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 how they made the youth sound probably a little better than what they actually were. And so, opportunities. <laughs> so that's where my career in workforce development started. Charger Help 
We uh, use technology solutions that we've built for EV charging, maintenance, and workforce enablement. Mm. Uh, another way I could put it is we fix broken EV charging stations. <laughs> We're in um, 11 states, plan to be in all 50 by the end of 2022, so this year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. That really is awesome. Born in 2020, so we're moving pretty pretty fast. Um, yeah, I would say you that's guys are crazy. really on kind of the cutting edge of the next wave of what's going to be really, really hot yeah. here in a, probably about two, three years. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> See, everybody, it's been confirmed. I can be right every now and again. Yes, you're on it, Adam. <laughs> so we try to help. We fix broken EV charging stations. It's a, it's where we've built a platform technology um, that enables our field service to go out and actually fix machines. We're not electricians. Um, so our techs are really good at knowing where to stop and escalate. But I would say 80% of the time when a charging station is down, it's a software and not and not the hardware. Mm-hmm. So we go out okay. we're kind of the geek squad for the charging station. I love gonna, that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're gonna keep the the infrastructure up and running. So we don't install, but we do all the operations and maintenance for the machines. And that's going to become vital if we're talking about yeah. SEV adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. So, ha- so talk to us a little bit about the mission and the vision and the purpose. I mean, you've talked a little bit yeah. about workforce development. Yeah, kind fixing, of touched on it a little bit. And fixing the chargers. Talk to us just a little bit about how you've been able to marry the two. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. When Camille, this started off as Camille's brainchild and my co-founder, <laughs> Terry. Okay. And when she asked me to be her co-founder, I said, I don't know where I fit in. I know how to find folks' jobs. You're fixing charging stations. I don't recycle. I mean, I do now, people. I do now. But <laughs> it just Thank you. Like a, a place off in the abyss by itself, this clean tech, green tech, mm-hmm. you know, energy, mm-hmm. space, sustainability, mm-hmm. all the words, right? All of them were places that I had never lived in, those spaces. Okay, Uh, okay. And once she told me that she wanted to weave workforce development into it and really explain how she wanted that to just be in the fabric of the company, then I could see where Mm -hmm. my value would be an add to the company. Um, Because not only are we presenting a new skill, a net new job, but it's folks Mm -hmm. that would need to be trained in here. And of course, this is 2020. Um, we really got going post George Floyd. So, of course, yep. the need for equity, inclusion, diversity, all those things everyone loves to say, they were all on the table. And we mm-hmm. really wanted Charger Help to be a way we could really make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. So we we started Charger Help with the lens of workforce development, with the lens of equity, inclusion, diversity. Um, and that was really the mission to solve a huge problem that was going to affect our entire country, the entire world, make a lot of money doing it. And we could be we can be good at it. Right. <laughs> and really. Yeah. Master it. And then the very last thing is we believe in good business, good service and good people. We don't believe to be a, a really profitable, uh, wealthy company that you got to treat people like trash. So we did that. Thank you. Our techs off with thirty dollars an hour. And that wasn't wow. That's great. Way up to. We just decided based on the information that we had in front of us, 
that it was worth it. And we got a huge, huge response from people. This was a good job. That is awesome. And I think you hit on something that I think is vital that sometimes we don't think about, right? And that is you are valuing the people that keep your business running, Absolutely. right? And, and I can't tell you, I, I was having a conversation with another small business owner today and they're like, I can't find people. They're like, mm-hmm. I, I just, I can't find people, right? But a vet, I mean, you kind of have fixed that a little bit, right? Treat them right up front and they don't want to go anywhere. And therefore you don't have to worry about that labor shortage during this great resignation. Well, they're already sitting there going, this is a great job. Yeah. That's amazing. That's what I was going to say. We can't find people anymore that we can pay anything. We can't find people that are going to build a company that's not going to get equity in the company, right? My text, my text, which which in most traditional businesses, this would be our entry-level position. They got equity in our company. Us being successful is not just riding off of my co-founder and I are just riding off of product technology, but riding off of them. I give people the example um, Adam of uh, Google Maps. And when Google Maps 12 years ago, people remember driving around, taking yeah. a picture and you put it in. <laughs> yes. One yes, that's right. right? Yes. Yeah. Now you can put it in and do the street view and it turns around and does all the things. Yes. And that's what yeah. we are. We're in the wild, wild west of EV adoption where we need people to make this happen. We need people mm-hmm. touching the machines and why not have that as a great platform to do other things that our country also wants to move past, like inequity, right? Like why Absolutely. not? Money is the best. Part. Don't pay me, pay me in equity. Give me my money, and I will create a nice, equitable home. I can buy an equitable car, right? I love it's that. Money, yes, that absolutely. Brings it, and, and that's what I was about to say. I mean, that's that whole. That is such a strong SJ and E play, social justice and equity. Sorry, we do this all the time on the show. We stop and redefine an, an acronym. <laughs> that that you're able to then start closing wealth gaps. Right. Right. I mean, generational wealth gaps start to get closed. And like you said, now people have the ability to buy an equitable car house experience. That is that is amazing. And when you set a company together, and it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost like you and your co-founder started this company with that goal in mind. Like at the end of the day, this is what we want to see. And we want to see our employees be successful. Our employees have the ability to to enter into an equitable situation. And and you've executed against that. I mean I'm almost speechless against what you're what you're saying. This is an amazing story. Well at the end of the day, the the with anybody, with not anybody, but any any color person, any gender person, any lifestyle could right. be a targeting station, right? Any and everybody. Right. I tell people all the time, you go to Colorado, you go to Oregon, if you see our technicians there, our te- it's not like we went and found black and brown people all across the world. When you go to the states that are predominantly <laughs> white, you'll see white technicians. If you go to Brooklyn, yeah. you'll see a black point. technician, right? It's, yeah, it's point. It, yeah, it, was, it was less about color. It was more about does everyone know that the opportunity is available? And, and right. then can we put everybody on the same playing field to compete? Now, I'm going to choose the best person for the job because I need my business right. to work. But right. the inequity is that there are big pockets of communities and folks that don't Thank even you. know the opportunities yep. are here, that this kind of right. paying job is even 
an option or that you don't have to be a whale watcher or a tree hugger or a mathematician to do this or electrician, Mm -hmm. but that you can be trained, right, to enter into this space. And that's what we really wanted to do. You know, both Camille and I have brothers and cousins and just people that just have a knack for fixing things and they've worked at the oil refineries or or they've worked at clothing factories and and this will be a piece of cake but whenever are these opportunities available to folks like them and that's what we wanted to create yeah yeah awesome i mean why do you and obviously i feel like we've tackled this numerous times on our on our show but why do you feel like some deserving professionals are underrepresented why do you feel like they're not getting some of this the access Mm -hmm. to some of these future jobs yeah great question some some stuff is systemic right and just this long pipeline of nothingness right (laughs) and then some stuff are, are they're not it's not done on purpose everything is not with malicious intent um, right. But there's a lot of areas where we're not being strategic and purposeful. And I and I believe that's why this is really happening. I think companies, I think it's a responsibility of CEOs and folks that, buy, you know, start companies to take a step back and take an interest in becoming and opening up the space. And it's not recognized. If you go into a, any any space where it's predominantly one thing is not diverse. Period. And, right. it, and it's not rocket science, right? Right. <laughs> so right. in a space that's predominantly one thing, whether it's all women, all men, whatever the case is, it is not diverse. If you're saying your goal is to be diverse, mm-hmm. then you have to go the extra mile. And I tell people all the time when it comes to workforce development, we've gotten really, really uh, loose with with being accountable to the people who are in charge of hiring. So your your um, HR folks and whatever management systems, you know, what pipelines are they using? How, how many new um, relationships do they have with, with workforce development centers, programs, agencies that have that diverse talent pool or that can help you find that? Um, you know, people say, oh, I can't find people. Well, who are you working with? Because your LinkedIn is only your network. So when you put out right. that's something right. hiring, you know, as a black woman, if I put out somebody's hiring, there's gonna be a whole bunch of black people that's gonna contact me because that is my <laughs> that is a part of my right. world, right? Thank you. That's what's yes, gonna get exactly. that opportunity, right? <laughs> and there's nothing and there's nothing wrong with and that. Nothing right? wrong with it, the but the fact is, if I'm saying I'm going to be yeah. fair and I'm going to let everyone know. Then, yeah. yeah, while I could put it on my LinkedIn and put it in my network, it would be nice of me to share with the workforce development programs around me to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to even to even know that this exists. So I, I think we have to take those extra steps and we can't mm-hmm. get comfortable. And I think HR folks have to have accountability, too. So where are your pipelines? You know, are you are you working with junior colleges? Are you working with trade schools? Are you working with workforce development programs? I agree. And I also think, you know, one of the other things that I've seen is, you know, and obviously being a, a technology company, you know, I don't want to knock technology companies, but the bias around some of these softwares that do the initial applications and the screenings, you know, just also just are are problematic. And I think that companies need to take a hard look at the software that they're using to weed through some of these candidates. Yeah, absolutely. There's biases definitely in there. I know for us, 
we require that our applicants take a um, learning style test. And that's very important for us to know if we're about to train a group of, um, you know, audio folks that they got to hear it because now my trainer will know to repeat it several times. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just one way. Our tactile, sometimes we get a group of uh, 90% tactile. Well, us sitting in this classroom the whole time is not going to work for this group. They're going to have to touch and feel, right? So it's important. And, and then to make them comfortable and to build our technology around the people using it. If, if I'm, if, if I'm, if I am audio, then my technology will be built that way. And sometimes we don't share tech, at least with the people that work with us. We just kind of dole it out to them, roll it out to them versus saying like, hey, look at this. I give this example all the time and then I'll be quiet. I give the example of when we started building our platform, we allowed our initial techs to, to take a look at it, to get in it and, and tell us what they thought. And they said, you know, Yvette Camille, this is great. This is wonderful. But there's no place for us to put notes about safety. And we said, safety? No, here's the, here's where your safety certifications will go. And here's this. I said, no, what if we go to a place that's not welcoming? What if we go to a place that, oh. that, that does not receive no. as well? Or what mm. if it's a, 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 a woman tech and they go somewhere and it, and they don't feel safe, you know, our male tech doesn't, you know, feel safe. And that is the beauty in sharing your tech with the folks that are actually using it, because that means it erases you from being just so arrogant as you sit behind your computer and build this thing. But you're not actually in the streets and in the in the field doing the work. So I, I use that as an example of just what you can get from making your entire organization a part of the process. That is absolutely amazing. And I love that whole feedback loop that you guys have built in either intentionally or unintentionally. That is such an important part that I, I hope all you small business owners heard that, right? No matter what you're deploying, that feedback loop from the people who are actually trying to sell it, deploy it, maintain it, use it, that is critical, right? Because that's how you do find out what is broken, what's not working, because we can sit here and develop cool stuff all day long. And we think one way, then we deploy it to a group of people like, yeah, that did not equate at all. We think of it this way. And you're like, that actually makes way more sense. And now your product is that much better. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from your experience, Yvette, what, what, it, what is the main cause of the salary gap between minority mm. professionals and some of their non-minority peers? You know, we don't have the problem at Charter Help. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yes. can't wait until every person we interview has that same response. That'll be ama an amazing day. And you don't have that because you mentioned earlier that you guys have gone about this with intentionality, but not everybody approaches it that way. Oh, you know, our other favorite word on this show. Here's the thing. Everybody at Charter Help did not make the same thing. But everybody starts off with equitable pets. And I think that's sometimes where you get your biggest issue, right? We we truly value our technicians. Like without them, it doesn't matter. Any of the folks behind the screen, we don't have a job if our field service folks are not out there doing the work. Clearly, we didn't apply to, to be driving around and fixing charging stations, right? So right. that is the bread and butter of charging help. So they're like our kings and queens, okay? <laughs> we, we treat them right. well. <laughs> 
Right. Because right. they they need to be engaged. They need to feel like they have uh, skin in the game. Right. So that's why equity and all that was given to them. I, I think the biggest gap, I'm telling you, I think most of the time it's it's how at the leaders at the top, you really have to evaluate yourself. You really have to see what your unconscious bias is. I've had people say and do things that I'm like, they they don't even know they just said and did that <clears throat> where you've you've you're seeing one thing, which means this other thing, right? So I, you know, I, I really think that folks at the top, like the most work comes from us. If Camille and I had decided to cheap out folks, then we wouldn't be paying what we're paying, period. We decided that. And because we decided that when we raised our our, our, seri- uh, our series, our seed round, as we talked to people about trying to help, it was built into it. Right. Like our text being paid decent was built into the model. It was built into the dream. It wasn't something we tried to do on the back end. So that's what I would say for new entrepreneurs. Think about that stuff up front and the folks that you really need to keep engaged and really need to make sure that they all right to get the business where you need it to go. But I think it's how we personally um, think of things. I think our our unconscious biases and I think a lot of leaders don't spend a lot of time recognizing and acknowledging where they may have, uh, you know, just a short view or not a full educated uh, view about something or have you actually talked to the folks and spent time with these folks. I I think it's much easier to tackle than we think. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. So when you think about just overall DE&I, how is Charger Health and workforce development. How does your organization's work tie into diversity and inclusion initiatives that we've been seeing across the country? Yeah, again, another one um, that because we started off with a strong push in that area, um, it's really worked out in our favor. But for instance, um, I would say women I am actively trying to recruit more women. So instead of just saying like, oh, I need to find a new pipeline of women. Yes, that that and, right? <laughs> I need to do that. Right. 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 And I right. need to look at holistically, what about the job? What about our marketing? What about our uniforms? What about it is not inclusive of women, right? Mm-hmm. Not just... There's no women, you know, you know, what about this? Or do we need to destroy some myths about it that you, you know, you can have pretty now. These are some of the things that I've heard. You know what I'm saying? That you don't have to be a tomboy. You don't that you can be just a full girly girl and be a technician, you know, (laughs) and open up the space, you know, for for our LGBTQ plus community, like for women making spaces where people can see themselves is really, really important. So I've even looked at the, the term technician. I mean, it hasn't changed and I don't think it'll change no time soon, but I've truly been studying technician is historically a male word, right? When right. you think of a tech, right. you don't think of right. a woman. So I'm like, well, do we change the name? But these are the things that as founders and entrepreneurs that you have the power of changing and making better and more inclusive. So I think it's going that next step. It's not just finding another pipeline of women, but really, what about my company? What about our branding is not inclusive and really spending time and money working on that thing? I don't even know how to follow up that statement. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you have a question because I'm like a man and trying to pass the plate right now. So 
I just, I just love just how intentional you guys have been because I just don't think oftentimes that companies think about this at all because there's, I mean, th- even thinking about the uniforms and if these are something that people want to put on and all of the various things around being safe and even thinking about different situations that different sort of groups would be in, all of this is making sure that people feel welcomed and feel included from the onset before you probably even talk to them. It's probably deeply ingrained in your job descriptions and your company descriptions. And that is where it starts. That's really where the rubber meets the road. It makes it so much easier to, once you get those things, and and don't get me wrong, it is hard to do. It is is hard work. Making folks, you know, not even happy, but just just getting all your things in a row and and make sure everybody is good. That is hard work. So I don't want to say like, oh, just do all these things. Oh, no, the more you do, Right. The more you do, and we started off this way, the more you like, oh, that opens up that can of worms and that opens up that can of worms. So I don't want to say, you know, pipe dream that you're going to be so, you know, diverse and inclusive. And, and even in differences, we have issues and we have to work right. through things. Right. So yeah. I don't want to say that. But I will say when you put effort there, when it comes down to getting a work order right, when it comes down to pleasing my customer, mm-hmm. I have so much more room to get with my team because they're taken care of. Yeah. So right. much more room to right. say, hey, y'all, we're not hitting it here. And I this has to change. Like, it's not that coupled with I'm being paid $15 an hour and I can't pay my rent and I can't mm-hmm. do anything. That's a whole nother type of employee that you have sitting mm-hmm. in front of you that's taken care of that wants to hear your perspective criticism, that's taken care of that you're pushing out there a little further, that you're stretching right. a little bit more, but they, they get the paycheck that they that they respect, right? So right. those things make a difference, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, if you just think about Haslow's just hierarchy of needs, if people are stressed about some of those very basic needs, there's no way that they can come to work and perform at the level that you need for them to perform at. For the company to win, for the company yes. to win. Yes. I need to perform right. a certain way because we're still trying to get contracts. We're still yeah. out here trying to prove yeah. ourselves. And it is right. not helpful sometimes when you look up and you say, oh, this is a group of black and brown people. It's, so you're already working against systemic ideas. You're already right. working against unconscious biases. Right. But what we can't oh, yeah. afford is the work got to be right. Right. So yeah. that's where we show up. And I, I just, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. But I really, really believe that people will go the mile with you. Yeah. And you, yeah. And you brought up a good point. We, we don't often have the luxury of messing up. We have to come, come with it as, as minority owners and founders. We have yeah. to definitely bring our A game to every Absolutely. situation. Absolutely. Every single time. <laughs> every single time. Every, every single, single time. time. <laughs> Very true. So, so when you think about just workforce development, how important is adult education and workforce development to improving just overall diversity and inclusion across the, the modern workforce, if you will? You mean how important is it to, to marry the two, the education? Yeah, the adult education, the educational components, I think, for preparing candidates for jobs of the future. I also just obviously just the recruiting and and all of the tactics that you've shared, but just the educational component in making sure that they are prepared once they get on the job. Yeah, I think training definitely, you know, training education is is a must. 
I, I think the barriers are getting people to that point, right? As you are always going to need training and education to, to really make sure that people understand what they're doing, comprehend it, can, can execute it. Like, I think people think saying workforce development means people get to skip steps. <laughs> no, we still need you to know. I still need you to be certified or your, your completion certificate. I still need you to do all the things. However, I think there's a step before we get there where you saw the most inequity, right? Where you saw the most folks not even know that something exists. Uh, we did a pilot with the workforce development program. And before I could say like, hey, we're gonna hire people and you all bring us your folks and we're gonna train them. And that's the idea. I noticed that the folks that I was talking to, which were the workforce development specialists, uh, the, the case managers, the folks, you know, that had caseloads of folks that they're uh, charged to help and find jobs for, that they didn't understand what I was talking about. And because they didn't understand, how can they truly go and share with the folks they're responsible for opportunities? So that's the end of workforce that, and I think this is where you get this big, ridiculous gap in say tech, in the tech world, right? Where it's like, those are jobs for smart people, whatever that means. Those are jobs for, uh, for some people they'll say for white folks, or those are jobs for like nerdy, you know, people. You know, I've heard all kinds of things other than them, right? The opposite of them. So I think the biggest thing is making sure that the folks that, are the gatekeepers, the folks that are responsible, for making sure people that know that this information is out here and that these jobs are coming and they're available, you have to make sure that they know too. So what we decided to do before we pushed out the opportunity with that pilot program, I did two or three sessions with the staff to bring them up to date. And now you can properly go recruit for me, right? Uh, because now you understand, except then I, they wanted the job. I'm like, no, we got to go get the people. You have a job. You go get the people, bring the people back to get the jobs. But even once they heard about it, they're like, oh, what is this? So I, I think that's a big gap that we have to make sure that we're filling, that we're not just randomly throwing it out there, that we're being very specific about what kind of person we want, what, what is the ideal candidate for the job. And starting off, I know me and Camille were maybe a little bit more relax, like anybody can learn, everybody can learn. And then, you know, a year and a half later, I'm like, actually, time out. I actually need to know ABC. <laughs> and I'll help you find resources to learn them. But it actually, it's not what we thought, right? So um, I think that's a thing too. The last thing I'll say is, I know companies will use the same job descriptions over and over and over and over. When technology is here now, and I tell people all the time, no, not to accountants. So accountants, please don't uh, attack me. But I use this as an example that maybe 50 years ago, an accountant, you really thought they could count, right? Because they, this is what they did. Where if you fast forward now, I know you a QuickBooks guru. I know you know how to use technology. I know you know this computer, right? I know you got some skills on the computer. I don't necessarily know if you're a mathematician. I know that you've mastered the technology and I'm sure it's in super mathematician, smart accountant folks out there. I'm not saying you don't need that. I'm just saying technology has allowed for more people to be 
an accountant, right? And so now the same thing is happening when it comes to technology. Are we looking at those old job descriptions? Are we looking at those old requirements? Do we actually require this? Or has technology come and made this easier? Do you use a platform every day? Are you using the app for the job, right? Like, can more people actually take advantage of this? And then will your, will your unconscious biases allow you to say, actually, I don't need you to have 10 years in an industry that's only 10 years old, right? Like, <laughs> right. Or an industry that's completely evolved, you know, into something completely different. Yes, yes. Something you hear, you're like, the only person that's going to qualify for that is the folks whose parents were scientists. Or whose parents, <laughs> right. like, you know, right. because they were born and raised in the environment. But otherwise, some things I've heard, I'm like, well, who has that? No, yeah. You already are are moving from a privileged space, right? That means you're assuming that I've had these opportunities when these are very, very specific things that everybody don't have access to. Mm. Right. And and I always love it too when they say entry level position must have five years experience. I'm like, "Mm, that might not be entry level any longer. I'm just saying, you know, we've got to take a hard look at this. You know, and and the other thing too is, and you're kind of touching on a little bit too, is let's also look at educational requirements. Do you absolutely positively have to have a BA? And now, MBA you are giving that car by yourself. I'm going to stay right here on the workforce. <laughs> but you know, but you're I'm taking you, over. We're I'm at, taking over a bigger anthill. We're absolutely right about all of this is I think we need to reevaluate just our hiring practices yes, in general and exactly. making sure that they're still relevant for today's age and for what, exactly. what that individual is actually going to be doing right. on the job and the tools and technology that they already have at their fingertips now. Yeah. When you get the exactly. job and- description and it's been the copy has been made so many times that the paper is now sideways. Slanted. Yeah, yeah. you mm-hmm. probably made that in '93, and you have me meeting <laughs> meeting requirements from 1999 or or even 2015. I would say you need to look at that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's way dated. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's dated from 2019. I mean, COVID has changed so much, and yeah. companies have. I was about to say more... it's dated since six months ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's automatic dated when when you think of just the speed of innovation how things are changing how quickly mm. they're right. changing everything mm. is changing the economy all of these things affect it and i just yes. think companies need to start thinking and taking a hard look at all of this yeah i agree so la- last question for you that you know we've talked a lot about workforce development and you shared a little yeah. bit about your growth plans those growth plans for charger help tell us a little bit more about what we can expect from Ch- charger help through 2022 yeah. and 2023 world domination no not real nice <laughs> i love it i love finally, it finally somebody I'm who is honest it. in yes, their answer yes yes <laughs> yes though that may not be what we say that's how we think um i love it you have to you have thank to. you it's all about mindset yes. i tell that people all the time it's all about mindset i love Absolutely. that yes. yeah yeah what we're hoping for well what we plan on doing is in being in all 50 states by the end of 22 um of course we want to corner the market we want to be the company name you think of when you think of charging station operations and maintenance getting something back up and running so that not only um transforms over our transpires through our operations, field service, dispatch, making sure that's top-notch service and making sure our, our technicians are fully trained. Our technicians have, I don't know, uh, 
15 to 20 certifications from every manufacturer, from every network provider. So they're pretty much able to touch um, most of the charging assets that are out in the streets. So, yeah, just continuing to strengthen training to make sure that we have the best um, technician team and that we're healthy on the inside. That's a big deal for Camille and I to be healthy on the inside. You know, we try to deal with with issues straight on. And believe me, issues are here. Uh, We are Mm -hmm. far from perfect, but we work at this thing every day. So I think... um, Really, we want to corner the market. We want to be the company that that have. We want O and M on every charging station we put down. We've been lobbying. We have some. Um, we have a bill. Uh, the stand the EV standards. We have that out there that we're trying to get going. So we're in policy because they'll write you right out of history. They will write you. Got to control your destiny on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, our government relations. You know, we we want to be the folks you need at the table to make some decisions. Because we have just that much data and detail about the infrastructure. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Yvette. Yes. Yes. This has been great. It has been great. I really, really enjoyed this. Yes. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore and Yvette Ellis. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And please check out previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.